Thank you. You may be seated. As you reach for your Bible and position your notes and prepare to take in the Word of God this morning, I thought it would encourage some of you to know that Santa came to see me this week. Now, I didn't see him. Don't let me not misunderstand. He came to my office and he left me a gift, my annual gift that he always brings me of Hickory Farms. And uh, he left me a poem and I thought I would share it with you. Um, I think he's listening in on some of my messages maybe because in the poem he says um, this beautiful package and poem in in my office and he said, once again I have to fly with my reindeer through the sky and they remind me with a moan that FBC's a no-fly zone. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Santa. So I know it was him. And... (laughs) I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's because I gave a kidney that I'm an extra good boy this year, but not only did he leave me a box of Hickory Farms, um, but he left me a six-pack of Mountain Dew. And uh, so, you know, I'm all up on Santa right now, you know. Um, I did think it was interesting, though, in the bottom of the note, it says on the, like, the stationary Reindeer Protection Society, I thought... Does that have something to do, like, with all the heads and horns I have in my office? I'm not sure. But anyway, um, you know, isn't it interesting, all of the razzmatazz of Christmas from the perspective of the world? Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I decided that it was a good time for me to go to Walmart and, um, (laughs) you know, go figure. And... uh, So I park a million miles away from the front door. I walk in, and I spend about the first 15 minutes right there in the foyer just visiting with about four different FBC families that I ran into. And then I came to my senses, and I thought, that's enough of this. And I left, and I thought, well, Christmas is still a couple days away, so I got plenty of time. But I did change my mind. But it was evident um, the wide-eyed frenzy and the filled parking lot of just... Uh, it's Christmas. And, uh, you know, I just think about that. I don't want to be a Scrooge. I used to be, want to be a Scrooge. I'm trying to change my image. I, I, I really think it's fun to exchange gifts and to have cookies and, and to do lots of fun things like that. But it's, it's, um, it's easy, isn't it, for the world to press us into its mold. And I want us to enjoy family and friends and food and gift exchanges. But... More than anything, I want us to worship Christ. I thought it would be good for us um, to turn again to our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning as we continue to reflect through the stories of Christmas. Uh, Luke chapter 2. You'll recall that um, this December we are focusing on some of the stories of Christmas. Christmas stories from our Bible. We began with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah there at the temple where he was surprised by the plan of God. We moved on the next week to focus on Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord, the husband of Mary, as he was surrendered to the will of God. We talked about the angels last week, and we found them to be a a wonderful model of those who are satisfied to be the servants of God. And today, I thought there was only one choice for the story, because there's only one point to the whole story, and that's Jesus and so our Christmas story today is about Jesus. We, we can talk about the supporting cast. We can talk about the run-up 
to the event, but there really is only one event. There is really only one Lord and Savior, and it's Jesus, and I want to focus on the reality of his coming and how we are saved by the grace of God through Christ. And that's what the Christmas story is really all about, and we're in Luke chapter 2 for our text this morning, and I thought it would be good for us to read even what we read last week, uh, part of it. It's, it's the most familiar section in our Bibles about the Christmas story. Now, once again this week, we're going to follow for our sermon format this idea of having a Christmas story. And then I kind of got carried away, and I thought we needed another story. And then we'll end with our lessons, which has been our template. And I hope you found it helpful this Christmas season. Next Sunday, communion and some reflection upon the last year, over the past year and making, taking care of any baggage and things like that as we cross the threshold of a new year. So here's our fourth and final Christmas story. It's all about Jesus, and we are saved by his grace. Verse 8 of Luke 2, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude then of a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph, and then the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And we'll stop there. What a story it is. And as I referenced, we need to be careful not to be too caught up in the run-up or the supporting cast to the story because it's really all about the announcement at this moment and the reality that a Savior now has come. As we break down the story, I want you to see that Uh, though there are different parts to the story, it's all about the message that the angels brought. And the first thing we see is that the angels announced the good news. The angel announced the good news. Look what it says. And an angel, verse 9, of the Lord appeared to them, these shepherds, at night, startled. We've talked about them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And that good news of great joy is for all people everywhere. So God is not a racist, he's not a homophobe, he is not uh, any other um, uh, obe you can come up with. It's for all people everywhere. This message, and what is the message? That's in verse 11. He hasn't said it yet. He just said, I'm going to give you an announcement of great news, great joy. Here it is. It's verse 11. It's the point of the whole story. Unto you is born this day, he even tells them where, in the city of David, that would be Bethlehem, a Savior. You see, 
embedded, implicit in the name Savior is that somebody needs saved. Somebody needs rescued. That there's a problem. And now there's a Savior. You can tell by the way it's received that it's good news. He tells them ahead of time, even in his preface, this is good news, going to bring great joy to all people. And since it's a message for all people, we can assume that all people need saved. If all people need a Savior, then all people are stuck. We're going to understand clearly what that is in a moment. And, And he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I reminded you last week that this dovetails with the angel's announcement to Matthew in Matthew 121 where he said she will bear a son. The angel speaking to Joseph, telling him what would happen to Mary. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save. He's a savior. He will save his people from their sins. There it is. There's the good news of great joy to all people who are sinners, which is everyone. There is a Savior who's been born. And so the angel announced the good news. There is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice that the shepherds then, with great delight, shared the good news. So they say to themselves, uh, as soon as the heavenly host rejoices, they leave. The angel went away, verse 15, from them into heaven, and the shepherds say to one another, let's go. Let's go and see what's happening here that the Lord has made known to us what a privilege it was for them to be the recipients of this word. And they went with haste. They didn't mess around. They went with haste. And then they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger just the way they were told with those signs wrapped in claws in a manger. And when they saw it, it says in verse 17, they made known the saying... What is the saying? They made known the saying that was made known to them. It was, back in verse 11, the saying of the angel that a Savior is born. So they went everywhere repeating what was told to them and recorded for us in verse 11, For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. His name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. That's the saying. And so they shared it with everyone. They had great news. You know, you know what it's like to get that one special Christmas present. I know you know. And you finally get that present, especially when you're a kid. And you couldn't wait to show it to your buddy. Or your buddy got their favorite present, and you didn't. And they showed you, and you found out how hard it was to rejoice with those who rejoice. I remember when I was a kid in Illinois, my neighbors got Rock'em Sock'em robots for Christmas. Do you remember Rock'em Sock'em Robots? And I was so jealous. And they were so happy. And then, of course, they wouldn't let me play. They had control over me with their Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But the shepherds, like, they got the greatest thing. They got the greatest news. They got the message. It was with haste and delight and enthusiasm and joy that they shared the message. The message was what the angel told them, a Savior is born tonight. So the angels announced the good news. The shepherds shared the good news. And we see that Mary pondered the good news. Notice, but Mary, it says in verse 19, precious Mary treasured up all these things. That's a, it's beautiful writing, isn't it? She, she treasured up all of these things. See, there was just another thing in her treasure box 
of this marvelous story, this unfolding of God's amazing plan for her life that she believed fully God would accomplish. And the shepherds came and they worshiped. And she stores this up and she treasures this in her heart, pondering what? That she understood what the angel said in verse 11, unto you is born this day a Savior. She understood at some level through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, through the announcement of the angel to her, that she had the privilege of being the mother of the incarnate Christ child. What an amazing reality. So what did Mary know? Mark Lowry wrote a song about it, didn't he? We love that Christmas song. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? Your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And Mary ponders this. What a precious reality. There it is. There's our story. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about this announcement. I thought it would be good for us to then expand upon it. And another story came to my mind. He came to be the Savior of the world. That's Christmas. That's what the angels announced, and that's the reality of it. And, and that's the very testimony of our Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. That's his testimony in his church today, that he's come to be the Savior of sinners. And so I thought we should go to another story that I consider to be a Christmas story, because Christmas is in it. You probably never thought of it as a Christmas story. It's in Luke 19, and it's another one of those Sunday school stories. We visited this story a couple times in the last year, but my mind was drawn back to it, and I thought that it would be good for us to just see the message of the angels unfolding as the Savior of the world saves sinners. Luke 19 is a really interesting story. You might think of it as a Sunday school story because it's about this guy, Zacchaeus, and everybody knows that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And um, you probably need to know that in chapter 19, the story is going to enter in where Jesus is coming to Jericho. He's only one week out, about one week out from his Friday evening where he's going to be beaten, he's going to be cursed, he's going to be spit upon, he's going to be beaten with rods, he's going to have a crown of thorns jammed on his head, and he's going to be nailed to a cross. That's only a little over a week away now after three years of ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem, but he's coming into Jericho, and Jericho was a, a busy little trade center. It was an active place. There were highways that crossed there, and it was a place of good business, good money, a lot of people. You'll notice if you let your eyes go up into chapter 18 at verse 35 that it was when he was coming into Jericho that he had just encountered a blind man along the road, and he healed the blind man of his blindness. You can say whatever you want about Jesus, but... He could, he could do things nobody else could. He could make the blind to see. 
And so this just happened as he was coming into Jericho, and we pick up the story in 19.1 where uh, he is, it says, he entered then Jericho. So he's in the downtown district along the street there, and, and I guess the local, um, you know, the local planning commission has planted trees down along the, the boulevard, and he was passing through there, and behold, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And there's the source of our wee little man song. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, that's Jesus, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place where he looked up, He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully into his home that day. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The crowd did, the Pharisees did, maybe some disciples did. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Here's Christmas. For the Son of Man came, that's the incarnation, to seek and to save that which was lost. For unto you is born this day, the angel said, in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. Today in Jericho, a Savior came to save sinners. Well, it's a remarkable little story, and I thought that we would just take a minute and get sidetracked with another story here. The first thing I want you to see about Zacchaeus is that he was a collector. He was a collector. He collected taxes. Not only was he a collector, but he was the chief tax collector. You need to understand that they're under Roman jurisdiction at this time in Israel, and so uh, this was not a popular position. You need to understand that Rome, uh, would, they would determine uh, and, and, and hire individuals who could oversee tax regions. Now, you'll recall that that's why Mary and Joseph were going back to Bethlehem to be registered. It was part of the taxation. But as Rome wanted to collect, collect taxes from their colonies, it was not an easy thing because you didn't have a courthouse with a registry where everybody's paperwork was on file and you could just see, well, who owned what property? There wasn't much paperwork around at that time. And so there was property that was passed down generation to generation and, and sold and bought and traded and buildings built and businesses started and not everybody was certain exactly uh, who owned what. And so they would go into the community, they would find an influential character that they could trust who had the knowledge of everything that was going on in the community and they then could say, well, I know that that guy owns that property and I know who owns that building and I know whose business that is. And then under the chief tax collector, you had then his staff of tax collectors who were out in the communities. And much like uh, this day here, um, in our day, this day, tax collectors were not the most popular people. We're going to see that he's looked upon with disgust as a sinner by part of the crowd. And the reason for this was, and, 
It was because as Rome established this network of tax collectors in their colonies, it's not to have some 100% from the commentaries whether they, and I assume they would have some kind of base that was expected to be met by their tax collecting, but they were totally given the green light then to leverage for more money, and they could keep that. As long as they turned into Rome, what Rome told them they had to turn in for their region, they could keep the rest. And so they became problematic to the community, much like we might think of the IRS today. So the IRS man comes and shows up on your porch. He's wearing a black suit. He's got a black Suburban parked out front. And he tells you, you owe more money. You say, I paid my money. And he tells you, no, you got to pay more money. And, and I'm not saying that he's lying, but what happens is you could try to want to fight it. It's like, I don't know. I don't like to pay this much tax, but what can I do about it? And you can't really change the system. And by the time you tried to fight the system, you would be old and gray. So what do you do? You pay the taxes to get the man off your front porch. And so it was a little bit that mindset. Zacchaeus and his tax collectors go tax. The guy shows up on the front porch. He wants to collect his taxes. The guy rolls his eyes. He moans, but he doesn't know what to do. He wishes he could get the guy off his front porch. And he's thinking about bad things he could do to the guy to get him off his front porch. But he knows that he has the authority of Rome and the government behind him. So it's easier to pay the money to get the guy off his front porch for another year. And so as a result, they, they uh, you know, essentially... Um, just leveraged people, extorted for money. And so they were very unpopular, and he's called a sinner. And in our New Testament, that phrase will come up when describing loathsome, disgusting, bottom-of-the-barrel people. They'll say, he was with tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> tax collectors. It's like, he was with a used car salesman and a sinner. It's like, that's how it was, you know? Forgive me if you're a used car salesman. <laughs> Don't leave our church over that. He could be a congressman and a sinner, okay? Something like that. He could be a, a preacher and a sinner. It's like the, the bottom of the barrel. A tax collector. And that's who he was. That's who he was. So he was a collector, but we know also by the story right away, he was the chief over this group of tax collectors, and he was, had become very, very rich because he was a very successful businessman. And not by mistake, probably likely that Luke notes it in contrast to the poor blind beggar. And then he goes to the rich businessman in the very next section. From one end of the spectrum to the other, Christ came to save sinners. And he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So we know, secondly, he was curious, and we need to pick up about our story here, because it's really not about Zacchaeus, it's about Jesus, but he's kind of fun to talk about. And he says he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, so there's a huge crowd of people with Jesus, because he had just healed a blind man, they were looking for more fireworks, because he was small in stature, so there we know he was a small, short little man. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into this sycamore tree. A sycamore tree had big branches. It was easy to climb. Uh, some suggest that sycamore trees would even grow out over the street, that he could climb up in this tree and work his way out on a branch and be in a position perched over the street where he could look right down and he could get a really good view of Jesus when he came. Kind of a funny scene, isn't it? A, one of the more successful rich businessmen in the community sitting on a branch on a tree over the street. He was a collector. He was curious. And we notice that Jesus comes and he gets caught right away. Number three, he, he gets caught. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. There it is. You, I see you, Zacchaeus. I see you. 
Zacchaeus, he says, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's interesting. Our Lord in his definitely in his knowledge of many things, whether he was exercising all of his omniscience at one time or not, he certainly knew Zacchaeus was there. He caught him on the tree, knew who he was. He knew exactly what was going on. And he says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. It's the only time in all of the Gospels that our Lord ever looked at somebody and invited himself into their house. Always before, our Lord was invited in by others. But he looks at Zacchaeus, and you know, uh, I don't know if you would like that or not. If Jesus looked at you right now and said, hey, I'm coming home with you after church. We don't always like people to just show up at our home. Now, yesterday afternoon, I was... Uh, visiting with a guy, and, and I, when I left there, I passed the house of another guy that I know and his family, and I thought, I should just stop in and see him. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, not everybody really loves it when the pastor just kind of knocks on your door in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. Furthermore, I needed to get to Walmart. I knew that, so. <laughs> Zacchaeus, look what his response is. It's, so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. So yes, this is such a great day. Not only do I see Jesus, he's coming to see me. He's coming to my home. And what we see here really is the beginning of the conversion of Zacchaeus, the transformation of life as he encounters the living Christ. He came down, and he received him joyfully. He was converted. It says, we'll skip verse 7 for now, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this home, implying that possibly other members of his family even were, became followers of Christ that day. This is... A great moment in Zacchaeus' life. He, he recognizes who Jesus is. And, and we use the word converted, number four. But not only that, further, he was convicted, number five. As soon as he encountered Christ, life change begins. He's convicted of, of the reality of who he is. I think this is really powerful to, to, to understand. You see, because I encounter people all the time that when I talk to them and, and I say, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, sir, yes. And then I begin to ask them questions, and it's pretty evident that they really don't understand what it means to follow Christ. But for Zacchaeus, when he encounters the living Christ, the reality of who Christ is begins immediately to transform his life. It's his 2 Corinthians 5.17 moment. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new comes. And I couldn't help but imagine in my mind what kind of transformation and how powerful this must have been in the community not just naming christ not just talking about christ but it transformed the way he lived and there had to be some moments that would have been worth seeing it's zacchaeus he says i'm gonna go and i'm gonna pay back and he looks in his records and he does more than the mosaic law requires fourfold restitution of those to whom i have scammed and unethically gotten their money for my own wealth. And so he knocks on the door one day. And the guy opens the door. Huh. What do you want? I already just paid my... Th you were just here. 
You were just, get off my stinking porch. I don't owe you any more money. And he's thinking of all the ways he'd love to kick him off his porch. And Zacchaeus says, no, sir, no. Wait a minute. I have come today. I have come today because I have sinned against you. And I have sinned against God. And I have a bag of money here today. And I want to pay you back. And the guy still wants to kick him off his porch, but he wants his money more. And... Um, he, he doesn't get this. You see, Jesus came to my house the other day. Jesus came to my house. I was sitting up in a tree, and Jesus caught me there, and he came to my house, and I've never been the same since. And I want to make things right, and I, I ask you to please forgive me in Jesus' name. Is that a testimony or what? There had to be just some powerful moments of the reality of the community encountering a man who'd been with Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Savior for all people, the Savior who transforms and changes everything about us. And so out of his conviction, then we see transformed life. But we must talk about Jesus. He's supposed to be the main point of the story. And as always, we do battle with the clock. Let me just... uh, Review. You've got the point of the story. You see the role of Christ. It's clear that Jesus was compelling, wasn't he? He was very compelling. He's got a crowd with him. He's just healed the blind man. It was only just a few weeks, maybe a month before, uh, in John 11, that he had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he's, he's like at celebrity status now, and everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. They want to see what's going on. And so he's very compelling. He's got a crowd with him. But we also recognize how in control of the situation he is as he enters and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He tells him to come down. He tells him, I'm going to your house. He knows exactly what he's doing. And Jesus uses the situation to illustrate the reality of why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And he's living it out. The angel announced to the shepherds who announced to the people... Mary pondered it in her heart that there is a Savior who has come to save the world, and here you're seeing it in living color. It reminds you, doesn't it, as he lived out, just turn two pages back to Luke chapter 15. There's a trilogy there, three stories, a story of a lost sheep, a story of a lost coin, and a story of a lost son. And in the first part, it also, and here's an example, what I was talking about earlier in Luke 15, 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing, all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, grumble, 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 saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Are you kidding me? That's what the angel announced he was going to do. That's why he came. Why are you surprised? The angel said a Savior had come, and his name would be Jesus, so he would save people from their sin. Of course he's with sinners. So he told them this parable when they're grumbling about this man receiving sinners and eating with them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friend, friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous Pharisees who need no repentance in their own eyes. I, I paraphrase it a little bit. It's what he does. 
That's what he does. He's a savior who seeks sinners. That's why Zacchaeus is a Christmas story. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's a compelling Lord Jesus. He'll always draw a crowd. He's in control, but he's criticized, isn't he? And that's what happened in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, just like what we just read in Luke 15, 1. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I was challenged as I was working on this message, reflecting in my own mind, when's the last time I ate with a sinner? For the purpose of pointing him to Christ. When's the last time I had a sinner in my home for that purpose? Now, don't misunderstand what's happening here. You see, a few years ago, a bunch of cool young pastors started writing books about Jesus partying with sinners. It was a reaction against separation from sin, and, and it was an overstatement about grace, and it was a misunderstanding of salvation and who Jesus is, but They were widely acclaimed, and they talked about partying with Jesus, man. See, Jesus partied with sinners, and we want to party with Jesus and sinners, and really they just wanted an excuse to drink and be a Christian or whatever. I don't know what they wanted. Jesus was not looking for a reason to be close to sin. Jesus was not looking for, like, a good time where he could smell the fumes that were in the air. Jesus went for one reason. And it was to transform the sinner's household. It was to show him that he was a sinner who was lost and he was in need and he was the Savior and he was his only hope. And that's who he is and that's what he does and that's what Christmas is. So he was criticized, but he was convicting. We already talked about that. Verse 8, Zacchaeus gets up, runs from the table, and gets his money pouch and goes back and pays everybody back. He was convicted over his sin. And as the point I've already tried to make, number five is this was Christmas. Jesus was all about Christmas here. Verses 9 and 10 again. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, probably uh, genetically a son of Abraham, but Galatians said that all of those who put their faith and trust in Christ become spiritual sons of Abraham, sons of promise. For the Son of Man, here it is, here's Christmas, verse 10. Here's why Zacchaeus, the wee little man, is a story about Christmas. The Son of Man came. The word came, circle it, it's, incarna- it's the incarnation. It's the incarnation. He came, he, he put on flesh, he came to dwell among us. To seek and to save the lost. There it is. Can you see how nuts it is that people put big blow-ups of a red guy with a fat belly on the top of their house? It's like, what is that all about? Can you understand why it's so frustrating to do battle with being pressed into the mold of the world? They don't care that Jesus came. They don't even believe that Jesus is who he said he was. But I'll tell you, somebody who did believe it, it was Zacchaeus, and it transformed his life. Here it is. It's Christmas. I wanted us to do a little Bible study now together, but we are, we are plumb out of time. Whatever that means. <laughs> so a little Bible study for you on your own time to look up specific verses that say, this is why he came. He came. For example, in Mark 10, 44, 1 Timothy 1, he came to be a ransom. He came to be a ransom, it says. What do you mean a ransom? What's a ransom? Who got, who got kidnapped? Who do I pay? Who's the ransom owed to? 
Well, it's, it's an imagery of, of a prisoner or a, a slave who's in captivity, and there's no way for them to get their freedom other than a payment to be made. Now, don't be confused. Jesus did not make, pay a ransom to the devil to get sinners freed up. He paid a ransom to his heavenly Father, the just judge of heaven who cannot look at sin. And so the only way sinners could be freed up is for the God-man to come and pay the price. That was his precious blood on the cross that was sufficient and adequate and covered the debt of all sinners, of all people, especially those who believe. And so the ransom has been paid before the sheriff of heaven and sinners can get out of jail for free. That's what he did. That's why he came. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Number two there, you'll notice in its wonderful verses there, but he came, uh, verse uh, 17 of John chapter 3, and then it's built upon in the realities of Hebrews 2. He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. The way it's worded in Hebrews chapter 2 is that he came to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. What that means is that God, the just judge, demands payment. It's sort of like related to ransom. But the idea is that he satisfied. The word is satisfied. It's a picture, this, this idea of propitiation in Hebrews 2 that I wanted us to look at is the idea of the substitutionary death of Christ, that Christ took our sin upon himself. That's what makes Christmas so special. He came to do this. He didn't fully accomplish it until he went to the cross a week after his encounter with Zacchaeus. And thirdly, you look up the verses, it's clear as can be he came to destroy the work of the devil. It looks right to me a lot right now around the world that the devil's winning. But just remember, this is the devil's heyday. And his leash is only as long as God is allowed in Christ did come to conquer, and he will return one day. There it is. Why did he come? What do we take home in our lessons? Let's just think about it. I've already referenced this, but from shepherds to corrupt tax collectors, Christ came to save sinners. Don't miss it. That's the meaning of Christmas. So shepherds represent, they represent the unwashed of society. They represent plain Ordinary, simple, maybe somewhat uneducated. Society would look at them as the low life, the bottom tier, and the businessman in his suit with all of his money, and he's wealthy, and he's the chief. And everybody in between, Christ came to save all. Secondly, You need to understand this Christmas season that salvation is always and only a free gift. It's always and only a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You don't say prayers for it. You believe by faith that what Jesus did paid your ransom from your sin. He satisfied the just demands of a holy God so that you could be released from your sin by substituting into your place and being the propitiation for your sin, the satisfying atonement that satisfied the demands of God. And you just have to believe that for yourself. But you have to do it for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. And it's a free gift. I mean, you wouldn't go buy a gift. I, I noticed in the few minutes I was talking with church family. That's why I go to Walmart. Janet won't go with me hardly because I talk to people all the time at Walmart. 
I like it that everywhere I go, Fellowship Bible Church is. And, uh, you know, it's starting to get to that time. Now, now I, I never get this way, and I've got, oh, what, is there 48 hours left yet? Plenty of time. That wild-eyed panic, your mouth is open, you're breathing fast, your pulse is up. Because why? Because you got a couple more gifts and you don't know what to get. I'll help you out. Peanut M&Ms or Chick-fil-A gift cards. <laughs> there is never a reason to panic, all right? Never, ever. Chick-fil-A gift card will do anything for anybody. It's good. She got that, gotta go, gotta, gotta get this gift for some. And so you finally get the gift for a person that you hardly know and you don't know what they want, you don't know what they need and you don't know if they like this, but you finally, and they put rows of stuff, I noticed, in the aisleways to really crowd it up with all this stuff so that you'll buy something at the last minute for that person that you don't know what to buy for. And, and you finally get the gift and you take it to them and you're so pleased with yourself. And you give it to them. And they reach in their wallet and they begin to say, well, let me pay you for this. How offensive. It's your gift. It's your gift. That's what salvation is. It's a free gift. You just have to take it by believing in the risen Christ. Thirdly, this Christmas, let's try not to miss Christmas, okay? Don't miss Christmas this Christmas. Like I said, I, I'm trying not to be a Scrooge anymore and change my image a little bit. And it's a good old time, you know? Gained about 10 pounds already. <laughs> I really like that Hickory Farms box. Haven't opened it yet. That'll be for Christmas Eve. I drank one of the six Mountain Dews. It's the small cans. Uh, those are good. But do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Don't miss Christmas. It was all about what an angel announced, what shepherds shared, and what Mary pondered, that a Savior had come to deliver us from our sin. Wow, what a story. And isn't it going to be fun to fellowship with Zacchaeus someday, our brother in Christ? And let's guard ourselves because when we hear stories like Precious Leah, who's in captivity in Nigeria, somewhere in an old shed being abused by her captors. It's easy to think of all the things we'd love to do to those guys. But those are the kinds of sinners that Christ came to save just like you and me. We live in a world that needs Christ more than anything else. So don't miss Christ this Christmas. Let's stand and close in prayer, please. And so, Father... Please help us. Help us to keep the beautiful, wonderful, matchless name of Jesus at the fore this Christmas. We enjoy our traditions. We enjoy the fun. We enjoy the celebrations. Would you help us keep the world at bay? We're so easily pressed into its mold. And the lesser things take over. Would you give us a great ability to worship this Christmas? to ponder like Mary, to share like the shepherds the great announcement of the angels that unto us a Savior has been born. I pray that people will receive Christ this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.